Someone was out throwing a spear last weekend. But what did you do? They were at a Spartan obstacle race. There's 5K, 10K, half marathon, and even longer races. But with obstacles along the way, wall climbs, monkey bars, barbed wire, and yes, even spear throws, it's incredible. The people, the energy, the support, the camaraderie, even the course itself. I promise you'll be glad you took it on. Race with your friends, coworkers, even by yourself. You'll make new friends on the course. I have a limited amount of of free races to give away with Spartan this year. If you want to change your life with one simple move, make a public commitment and put a date on the calendar. All you need to do is post a video or photo of yourself training for you and your Spartan race. Use the hashtag Spartan training and tag at Spartan. Tag us too and make sure you send me a screen grab and I will give you a code for a free Spartan race. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at orcacoolers.com. And what better way to go into the summer than with a new cooler or a chaser, traveler, camper, barrel, all the good things that they have at Orca Coolers, all the different ways you can hold your drinks, and then you can put your drinks in those roto-molded coolers. Make sure to use code DADSEASON for 20% off your order. That's code DADSEASON for 20% off your order at orcacoolers.com. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com, the best place to go for wholesale pricing on laser-edged glassware, other swag like flasks, and cool things there. They have those mirror tumblers that are good too. Make sure to reach out to me. I'd love to get you in touch with Carson, Janie, Vicky, all the good folks at distilleryproducts.com. That's where we use for our glasses. You should use them too. If you're a podcast, a distillery, a blog, maybe you're a bourbon group, go ahead and use distilleryproducts.com. All right. So the uh, the one that we passed on the last time we did this. Oh, Beverly uh, Hills Cop 2? Yeah, which it's kind of directed, it's kind of related to it, kind of not. But and again, something else I picked up all through watchables. Did you know that Bob Seeger only had one number one song, and it was "Shakedown," the title track from Beverly Hills Cop Two? I thought he had two. It seems pretty bewildering for the career that guy had. Essentially, almost like epic hits he had. Nothing else went to number one. Like turn the page or night moves. I could have swore. Like a rock. I mean, Jesus. Remember us growing up as kids? Like you couldn't watch any sporting event without seeing a Chevy commercial and like a rock. Oh, yeah. But like it wasn't going to chart then at that point. I mean, I guess they're just so still relevant, possibly iconic songs. Or I mean, I'm sure some are, but like more than a handful, I would say are like, yeah. That goes in like the catalog of the epitome of classic rock to me. Even Hollywood Nights. Like, I love that song. It gets me pumped up. He did have a number two. So Shakedown was only number one for one week, August 1st, 1987. Shame on the Moon was number two. Night Moves, it doesn't say where it was. I don't think it charted. How does Night Moves even, not chart? I don't even know if I've ever heard, would you say Shame on the Moon? I've never heard Shame on the Moon. <laughs> The only number two we've never heard. Against the Wind went to number five. Like a Rock was number 12. That's crazy. Rambling Gambling Man was number 17. Roll Me Away was number 27. Catman Do. Anybody who's ever walked into a Logan's Roadhouse or a Texas Roadhouse has heard Catman Do over and over and over. It only got as high as 43. I mean, I almost feel like it's got to be kind of like the credence 
catalog. All these songs that as soon as they come on, you know them. But how many of them at least were hits originally in their, you know, heyday of prime or whatever as far as the band went against the wind seems like it should have been number one you know like at night moves and we've got tonight only 13 it's f and seeker (laughs) like when he heard that i'm like whoa i just stopped everything i was doing at work and i was like i I need a second to take this in hard to wrap your head around right i mean it's kind of insignificant but still like how who didn't vote for these things who didn't like it when it first came out people love it now Everybody sings it. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me, as always, is Zeke Baker. And together, we make the Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us part of your day. So in continuing with the theme of the rewatchables, you know, because it is a Bill Simmons podcast, and I don't want to, like, completely rip off his podcast week after week, but Zeke did bring something to the table, and I'm very happy that Zeke brought something to the table. But I'm thinking about this as I would think about this as Bill Simmons, and I have to think... Like, Seeger, is he the Dan Marino of music? (laughs) Like, I feel like his numbers are super solid, but he never got that big win. Yeah, I mean, you could really apply that logic to a lot of sports figures, but at least in their time, though, like, Marino may have never won the ring, but you knew watching him, he was legendary. He was always going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, stats were amazing, which, if you're talking about music, if you don't go number one when you put it out, Clearly the public, they clearly didn't grasp like how of a legendary song or how legendary the song was going to end up being. Bob Seger was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004. Let me just put this out there for you, Zeke, because this is totally a trivia question for you. Who do you think inducted Bob Seger into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Dude, the other Bob from Detroit, please. All right. I feel like you would have known that, and I'm very, you didn't disappoint. I'm very proud of you. Congrats, Zeke Baker. You know, I do okay with my Kid Rock trivia. (laughs) (laughs) That's because you're chilling the most. If you ever want to find Zeke hanging out in Nashville, if you ever, like, want to look for him, look for this red, white, and blue trucker hat that says chilling the most. Chances are Zeke is wearing it. Fair. I I got a few of those in the rotation these days. I like that you nodded for a couple seconds, like the people can really hear you nodding. And then all of a sudden you were like, fair. I remember I got to say something now. Well, I was thinking about it. I'm like, how often do I still rock it? Because I used to get them off the you know website thing or whatever, but they're not on there currently. So I, I'm now like staggering out how often I wear it because until I can get my, you know, my back up for down the road, I don't want to wear out the, one, the only good one I got left. I mean, I don't feel like those are going for 50 bucks a hat, so you might want to get like three or four. That's what I'm saying. They're not on the website right now. Hey, Bob, if you're listening, <laughs> I know you are local to Nashville now. Can you hook Zeke up? But I bring up the Bob thing and the Seeger thing, and it's perfect that it is in this theme of the show today because Valentine Distilling has been around since 2007, and it was founded in Detroit, Michigan by Rufino Valentine. It is one of the first micro distilleries that was in the country. I want to say right now, I am looking at our friend Whiskey Fellow, that is Jeff Schwartz. He put a great review of this on. I didn't look at his tasting notes, but I did look at his backstory. Uh, Some fun things. I 
say go to whiskeyfellow.net and make sure you check this out for yourself. Highlights from this. The centerpiece of the distillery is Sherbert, a custom-made 1,500-gallon copper pot still. And it was an Italian still. It was from Frilly, 100-plus-year-old Italian still maker. Valentine actually made a 10-year climate sustainability initiative to reduce reduction, recycling, reuse, and then it's looking to bring in wind and solar energy. The master distiller is Justin Aiden. If you don't know these things about Pingree and, and Valentine Distilling, that's where we're trying to educate you on it. He actually worked, he graduated from Michigan State, and he worked full-time at the Artisan Distilling Program at Michigan State, which is something Ari Sussman told us about when he came on for Three Chord. So Michigan State has this really cool program. Justin graduated from it. What we are drinking tonight is Mayor Pingree Black Label Straight Bourbon. It's batch six. It's got a mash of seven barrels that's 75% corn, 21% rye, and 4% malted barley. It's sourced from MGP. It's 15 years old. Interesting thing about this one, Zeke, a portion of the aging process occurred in a climate-controlled warehouse in California before being transferred for final aging in Michigan. It's non-chill filtered. It's 114 proof. There's only 684 bottles available, and it's one. $59.99. So thank you, Jeff, for giving me some backstory because I did not have a lot of backstory that was originally sent to me with this bottle. So it's not a single barrel, it's batched. It is batched. And what was the final yield? Sorry. 684 bottles. So it was seven barrels. Doesn't really seem like a high yield for seven barrels. If one, one out of seven ain't holding hard anything, that's going to uh, you know pull down your average pretty fast, obviously. But no, when you first said batch, I was kind of confused because I also thought this was a single barrel being a 15-year, like batching a 15-year product. Don't see that too often anymore. When you're trying to do a limited edition release and get a few of them out there, I understand batching it together. I also find it really funny about the leaker because we did a charity tasting last night for Folds of Honor. For those of you that didn't know, Folds of Honor is a great organization. They provide scholarships to children and spouses of injured and fallen soldiers. And we were lucky enough to do something with their Drams and Jams event a couple months ago. And then one of the things that was put into the auction was a night with Zeke and I. We bring whiskey over to your house. You have the option of doing the podcast with us or or not we could just hang out and drink these people elected to hang out and drink we had a great night but the reason I, I go into all of this is that we get into this conversation about how do you know if you have a leaker depending on where the barrel is like if it's in the middle of the rick and I know they got people climbing in there all the time and they're looking, but like there's certain barrels that come out that have been aging for a long time and then you pull it out and there's nothing in there. And it's like, how does that even happen? I mean, I think the bigger question, we didn't talk about this last night. If there was a leaker in the mid and somebody's supposed to be climbing around and checking this stuff all the time, are they just like three out of five in their job? There's a lot of barrels, obviously. And we've seen, similar to other industries, labor shortages and or folks not happy with wages. I'll leave it at that because it's not really pertinent, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was, you know, every single barrel didn't quite get, you know, drilled, tapped, whatever, checked on too regular of a basis. What I would wonder is, well, you pay tax on every barrel. 
every year you have it do you bottle it but it's always just ambiguously tossed out there of paying tax well how much is this tax number i mean we're talking about like a dollar a year or some significant number to where like all right how many leakers or empties have i got in here that i'm still paying for because i'm not going to get it return on my investment i sure shit don't want to pay taxes on anymore let's get it out and keep going yeah that's a fair question the other thing about this that i find interesting you know it was distilled in indiana moved out to california and then back to michigan there's a lot of moving going on it could have even gone from indiana to michigan to cali to back and you have to think all that (laughs) transport there's a lot of sloshing going on if there was maybe not the tightest seal do you think some of the whiskey might have escaped on the multiple cross-country trips obviously possible the thing that pops in my head is especially for something that's older how much char comes off of the actual stave and now is just floating around in the reservoir so to speak I'm sure there's a few. I mean, it it definitely, this isn't oaky to me and not going into the tasting notes yet, but it's not overly oaky for me, but there's definitely, you could tell it's mature, if that makes sense, especially with the mouthfeel. It just has that kind of like, I'm an adult feel to it. Is that like the worst tasting note in the whole entire world? Like, I'm an adult. All I was going to revert to was uh, one of the scenes from uh, Scorsese's flick with the band in The Last Waltz. And Levon's talking about when they uh, you know, came up to New York, started playing or whatever the first time. He's just like, it was an adult dose. <laughs> it's a subtle line. Like, if you haven't seen it more than probably three or four times, you wouldn't catch it because it's so just like said and keeps going. But I always laugh whenever I'd say, like, it was an adult dose. <laughs> I was kind of thinking, like, I'm a man. I wear a speed stick. I'm 40. <laughs> well, we'll save that for the notes, but... I would think of different products to get that excited and like fired up and ready. All right. Well, let's go into the notes. What do you think about this Zeke Baker? (laughs) If I'm going with the I'm a man approach, it's going to be something, you know, that's probably lights me up in some direction or just like, whoa. One of the things you got to, you know, taste it with your mouth open so you can get some air and hopefully the aerate it. At any rate, this did not follow that profile. I'll go ahead and clear the air now. These notes are kind of scattered for me. Sorry, it was kind of thinking what I didn't get that really impressed me versus like really analyzing flavors because it just caught me off guard. First thing I put down was literally there is no char in this. If you've listened to, I don't know, plenty of shows we've done, taste it on your own. Very commonly, I would say for MGP, once you get above 10 years, there really seems to be a um, higher incidence of salty, char, briny, oak, just pucker. Well, I, I mean, it's from the oak, and this has oak in it that I'm going to get to, but like, this doesn't like make you pucker or, or just have that, you know, like a salty, briny feel that's unpleasant. Oh, I mean, I, I think we've talked about it before. When MGP turns, it gets turned. It ain't coming back. Yeah. I mean, it, oftentimes that's where it goes, which. To me, letting a, a barrel go 15 years is a pretty ballsy move with it being, you know, Indiana MGP distillate. The next thing I put was it it seemed to have a, a lower viscosity, but I also felt like it kind of worked for it on this one in that it allowed really just the flavors to spread all across the palate super easily. It wasn't like centered or just kind of hugged and sat in the middle of your tongue. A small taste ran all over and you were really able to enjoy and grasp what you were tasting. It was a wet, not dry oak. I can't really emphasize that enough. And if you haven't experienced it too, I'm sorry, but like, again, dry, bitter, charry, like, 
just parching. This was none of that. For a 15-year product, seemed very wet oak. Yes, that's a ton of the flavor you get, but it was more than enjoyable and just easy to drink and like relish. Uh, I thought it was peppery fill across the mid of the back, but it wasn't hot by any means. There were some hints of youth, little flashes, especially in the front of the tongue, but it really just kind of resulted into being more akin to what I would consider a fruit rind in that, you know, you bite into a fruit rind, you initially get some sweet, but then the other 80% is that rind and just a little bit different of a profile. I didn't think it was necessarily multidimensional, but if it's been in the wood 15 years, I think you'd be shooting yourself in the foot if you went into it thinking that was what you were going to get to begin with. That being said, I thought it was really done well. Someone had to be watching these barrels, in my opinion, to make sure that, hey, we hadn't lost it yet. We hadn't lost it yet. We hadn't lost it yet. All right, let's not risk this. Let's go ahead and bottle it and get this done. I think batching it was probably, honestly, the best idea. You just don't see that as often in the market anymore. And that's about what I had. I would say, just to kind of add to it, when I say it's an adult, it's totally like a hippie. It is very mellow. It's an adult that grew up listening to a lot of Grateful Dead and Fish, and like it's just chilling. There's not a lot of highs. There's not a lot of lows. It is just very easy to drink, mellow. I had a good mouthfeel. It definitely does not drink 114 proof. I will tell you that right there. Like there is no way that's 114 proof. It is. You know, like it technically is, but it isn't. Yeah, that's what I meant by the viscosity was low. And like saying, it, you put a few drops on your tongue, it's going to run all over and coat everything versus, you know, some stuff that's heavier and just kind of like seems to sit and hug in the middle and almost like gum up, you know? I mean, it was thick without being sticky, if that makes sense. And then the other thing I would say is as I'm listening to your notes and as you're talking about all, everything with the char and all that, like, and we talk about MGP getting turned, I really got to think that the climate control warehouse in California plus aging in Michigan has a lot to do with a 15 year because we saw the same thing. Let's just be honest with the Traverse City. The Traverse City did not get sent over to California with their 14-year MGP. But I have to think that the Climate Control Warehouse plus Michigan had a lot to do with this one not getting turned after 12 years. It definitely probably didn't hurt. I just wonder if, you know, the cooperage may have been different, a char or something, or even just the oak staves that went into it. Just from seeing other distilleries that use MGP, because Lord knows there's plenty of them. and We've seen you know a fair amount of aged juice that folks have bottled and put out. And it's not like you could point at the barrels one NDP got and say, oh, well, they must have got you know something that a broker had and everybody else passed over. Like It's been more of a common theme to me than uncommon to see literally most MGP once it hits about 11. You're like, hmm. This is getting close. I'm, I'm only to try that first before I buy it because you're going to charge me a bunch of money and I get it. That's what you know, where bourbon is now, but I'm just going to need a taste first. <laughs> I am with you a hundred percent on that, but I would say for where this is at 160 bucks and being 15 years. And I know you were focusing on what wasn't there as much as more so than what was there, but what was there was really good to me. I thought this was a great pour. I it was the perfect amount of Oak. I think just enough to let you know it was an aged whiskey, but not too much. 
thought the mouthfeel was good. I thought there was a fair amount even of, of maybe some chocolate in there too. I just enjoyed it. And you know me, if, if it's not over-oaked and it has a good mouthfeel, chances are I'm pretty much in. And we're not say I haven't read Jeff Whiskey Fellow's review on this. But I didn't read his actual review. I, I stopped. I just didn't want to get. Well, you said but, he was a, a big fan of it. I caught that much. I didn't get that far. So I, I was trying to not bias myself. Let me go down. I'll be honest. He gets into the tasting. So bottle, bar, or bust, he rated it a bottle. So he said buy it. Somewhere earlier on when you edit this, you'll hear yourself say he was a big fan. <laughs> At any rate, you know, when you mentioned, uh, you know, Jeff Whiskey Fellow, I definitely could see this being something that was in his wheelhouse, just from knowing he's one of the guys that also really gets into different scotches a lot. You do some, I really don't, but the way the oak comes across in this, how it's still soft, easy, not offensive anyway. Some of the notes I did write down were kind of earthy, medicinal-ish, uh, kind of like a tea leaf kind of thing. I could see this definitely being in that drinker's wheelhouse it's like ooh, here's a bourbon that it's obviously not a scotch but does it kind of toe the line of showing a very old age without being awkward to drink or taste like <laughs> that's where this one falls really well i could see that but i enjoyed it and i want to say thank you to valentine distilling for sending this over i know we were very interested to get this there are some other picks that were coming out i know a bunch of groups in chicago got together and split up the Jumpman pick a lot of people in that wisconsin michigan illinois you know i think it's in nine states right now uh one thing i found about valentine when i was doing my own research before i found jeff's article their whole philosophy everything i do must be done with quality in mind above all else i've always appreciated the american craftsman working by hand and making one-of-a-kind items that stand the test of time in an era of mass production squeezing costs and maximizing profits one important thing is lost quality taking a stand against mass-produced spirits valentine proves that american ingenuity and quality american manufacturing is still alive in distillation this means selecting the best ingredients distilling in small batches and caring in every single step of the process so they're not going far they're in nine states right now and they're not trying i mean it totally makes sense right this batch six is going to be seven barrels with a yield of 684 they're not sitting there trying to do the 6,000, 10,000, 20,000 bottle release. I'll say I would assume they could easily mow through whatever older, like significantly older MGP juice they have. I mean, look at the precedent that's been set between Bell Mead, TC, Blom, just the name Old of Old Scout. Once everyone gets the buzz, how quick supplies can be exhausted. Well, then it's kind of like, um, well, what are we going to sell? Because the stuff we're making, we all knew it wasn't going to be ready for another year or two. And if we pump through all these barrels, because, you know, like NBA Jam style, he's on fire. <laughs> well, what are we going to do to keep the lights on in the interim? I've always thought that was a, a very, I wouldn't say novel approach, but conservative. They're sticking to their guns. They seem to have like, hey, what we do is not for everyone but we're doing it our way because it's our business. And that's very commendable. Totally agree with that. So thanks again for sending us a bottle of this. We hope to be one of those few places, though. Don't give away all your single barrels, but if you want to do one with the dads, we are certainly up for doing a pick with y'all. But thank you for sending us this bottle. 
You can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. You can find Valentine at ValentineDistilling.com or on the socials. Please leave us an open and honest review just like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Good old Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. Ciao.